Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to have you with us another evening, Tuesday evening, where we have the opportunity to reflect into uh, the Church Fathers. We are in this post-golden age of doctrine. Uh, we started this age with with who? What, St. Jerome for a couple weeks? And we have spent the last five weeks uh, talking about St. Augustine. And uh, we have wrapped up our study on St. Augustine, which means we have the opportunity to talk about uh, St. Leo the Great. And in doing so, uh, we have the opportunity to talk the stuff of history. Huh? Uh, I have said from time to time, as we get into the personalities and, and the great thinkers uh, of the early church, uh, when a great historical moment comes along, certainly we will talk about that. And, and so we will do that. And it is Tuesday, so I will be doing this with John O'Hare. So John, it's great to have you with me another evening. Great to be here another reason. Thank you. So, John, St. Leo the Great, here is a man that um, towers among many other popes. Uh, As we will discuss this evening, when we talk about papal history, uh, he has to be a part of that. Uh, Certainly, foundationally speaking, he laid the ground for a lot of the ways we think about the papacy today. So that's going to be important to our discussion Along with the Council of uh, Chalcedon, which uh, ranks among the greatest council in history, many have said, yet over 350 bishops present. So uh, from the great historical moments uh, to his presence, uh, his governance, and the Council of Chalcedon, you have some great moments. He is a great, there's a reason why he is a great. So, uh, John, what more can we say to get us going of St. Leo the Great? Well, uh, St. Leo the Great left behind 73 letters, 96 sermons, more written evidence than all other previous popes put together. Mm -hmm. So, uh, not only was he a great pope, I also want to point out he was an excellent administrator. He Mm. knew how to run the ship. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like to read a paragraph from the Concise History of the Catholic Church by Father Thomas Bokencotter, and uh, here's the paragraph. When we come to the reign of Pope Leo who reigned from 440 to 461, we reach one of the momentous turning points in the history of the papacy. By common consent of historians, Leo was one of the greatest ecclesiastical statesmen and deservedly surnamed and deserved the surname great. At a time when the world was cracking at the seams, Leo stood forth as a pope of commanding character and genius, who dramatically and successfully asserted the supreme authority of the papacy. Drawing on the rich heritage of papal experience and claims, He formulated a doctrine of papal primacy that was to weather all storms and guide the policy of all subsequent popes. According to Leo, Peter was the rock on which the Lord built his church. His successors, the popes, were merely his temporary and mystical personifications. In virtue of his office, the pope had the plenitude of power over the universal church. He was its supreme ruler and the supreme teacher and supreme judge. All other bishops only shared in his responsibility for the whole. So, that's quite an encomium, and the deal is, what did he do that was so wonderful? Now, we'll get to some barbarian issues in a few minutes, but um, 
I would say that his, one of his greatest things was the Council of Chalcedon. We'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. And his ability to, remember, there is lots of controversy going on. Rome is declining, mm-hmm. and the power of the emperors is in trouble. Furthermore, we have a rivalry between Constantinople and Rome. Who is going to decide Catholic doctrine? Mm-hmm. The Metaphysite feelings of Constantinople or the orthodoxy of Rome? We also have a rise of non-Roman barbarians who are changing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what's going to happen to the church? And here is Leo. He came in at this time. Leo was uh, a Tuscan, although he was born in Rome. He was uh, an archdeacon of Rome. He, we don't know when he was ordained, or if he was, he may have not have been ordained until he became pope. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, But he was very active. He was sent to do some diplomatic work. In fact, he was in France trying to negotiate between a Roman general and a bishop when he received uh, word that Pope Sixtus had died, mm-hmm. and he had been elected pope. So come home. Mm-hmm. Got a new job. <laughs> and uh, and quite came. a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> home he went. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and so he's elected Pope, and one of the things that that he offers for us, and you had mentioned his letters and sermons, he really established the papacy as a teaching center. He is the one who first gives us uh, what we know today as the Wednesday general audiences, Mm -hmm. where you you Mm -hmm. go into the Vatican Plaza and you teach on some subject every Wednesday. Certainly, this is what John Paul II did with Theology of the Body, and what Pope Benedict did with, well, what we're talking about today, you know, the right. Church Fathers. Pope Francis right now is doing this on uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so uh, these popes go into the plaza, and essentially they teach. This is something that uh, Pope Leo the Great started. And something else, you, know, you mentioned, John, the, the primacy of Peter. We have talked about in the past that passage from Matthew 16, verses 13 mm-hmm. to 20, our Lord's words to Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. It was actually St. Leo who went back to those verses mm-hmm. to establish the biblical vision for what he was seeing was so necessary. And why would he do that? Well, let, let us remember the importance of sacred scripture. You know, this is the word of God. Essentially, what Christ was doing was establishing Peter as head of his church. And as you beautifully just read for us there, these popes are are in the Vicar of Christ, and they hold a very important seat. Again, this was something that was close to the heart of Pope Leo. We mentioned in an earlier show uh, Clement of Rome, who uh, wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Now, I don't know whether he was chewing them out or praising them or what, but he certainly expressed his authority. He was in Rome, and they were a long ways, uh, and they were across the Adriatic. We also have uh, Pope Victor, who was Pope from 189 to, or rather, uh, from 189 to 198, uh, and he uh, established Easter. He uh, got to some diocese yes. that weren't celebrating Easter at the correct time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another little deal is um, Pope Siricius, who 384 to 399, published decretals. Well, that's a decree. That's where we get the word decree from. Mm-hmm. These were, that's just the way the Roman emperor would issue uh, executive authority or whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so the Pope began to do this. So they were beginning to exercise their authority, but... Uh, was the Bishop of Rome the head of the church? Mm, it could be. I mean, there was. there's always controversy when it comes to political power. Yeah, and there's no question that with Pope Leo, you had this, this sense of presence, 
prestige, the, the sense of presence that comes from the authority uh, that belongs to Christ. Uh, there was something unique in this man. And, and you know, you come across these, I mean, not that I'm saying a, a George Washington is, is a Pope Leo the Great, but in our own American history, there are certain men that just stand out by their presence. You read of these stories of George Washington walking into a room and just commanding this presence. Everyone was just going to listen because he was in the room. And this was before he was president of the United States. I'm thinking of even earlier on, uh, before the Revolutionary War, he just had that kind of respect. He just had that kind of authority. And uh, you you get the same sense with St. Leo. Now, (laughs) a Pope Leo is going to hold a grace that is unique to a papal office, obviously, I'm not suggesting on any level George Washington is is the equivalent of a, a Pope Leo, but there are men who, um, both in our history and even presently today, uh, that just kind of carry this presence with them, huh? this, this charism. And, and this is very much what I kind of envision that Pope Leo has when I read about him. And John, as we talk about the Church Fathers and we talk about what they bring, what this man brought was this just unique presence of the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke... You listened. I remember Billy Graham said about uh, Pope John Paul II, mm-hmm. this man knows how to pope. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, 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 so did Leo. Yes, he just yeah. That's a great line. This man knows how to pope. And what does that mean? This man knows how to carry the presence of Jesus Christ with him. There's a charism with him. Yeah. Now, there, there's a charism that you're, you're just drawn to. And I think that's just so beautiful. Yeah, we have talked a lot about Arianism and the whole issue of the Trinity. This mm-hmm. was a problem in the early church. And if we go back to 431, before he was Pope, we have the Council of Ephesus, which claims that Mary was a Theotokos, that is the bearer of God. Yeah. And when her baby was born, he was God and man. So uh, there are issues over this. And, um, and people did not quite like this. And mm-hmm. there was a monk named Eutyches who wrote a paper claiming that this was not the case, that the Jesus Christ really didn't become a Christ until after his death or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That Christ really didn't die. Anyway, there was issues over this. And then there was a controversy between a man named Dioscorus, who was the bishop of Alexandria, and a man named Flavian, who was the bishop of Constantinople. And they begin to argue mm-hmm. over this council, mm-hmm. and Leo is drawn into this, and he handled the situation really well. And, uh, I could go on, but you may want to... Yeah, and so what happens is, you know, it ultimately, in the end, it, it leads to the Council of, of Chalcedon, you know, in, in 451, and I think the point to be had here, too, John, as we're talking about this, um, because it's spoken to so beautifully by Pope Leo, is when he says that in the Council of Nicaea of 325, and the Council of Constantinople in 381, and the Council of Ephesus that you just mentioned in 431, along with the Council of Chalcedon in 451, you have the four Christological councils that helps us better understand not only who Jesus Christ is, fully human, fully divine, but also how we are called to share uh, in light of our humanity in his divinity. This was very important to him. And I love what St. Gregory the Great, who we'll talk about down the road, had to say about these four Christological councils as he received them in the 6th century. He talked about how these councils are the four cornerstones to better understanding Jesus Christ 
in the same way that the four Gospels are the four cornerstones to understand uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, That's a provocative statement, and it really gives a nod to the importance of sacred tradition, right? These councils come out of what? Heresy. What have we said before, John? Who was it? Origen said, thank God for heresy because we're a stronger (laughs) church for it, right? Um, Well, here we are, uh, another heresy. Certainly Manichaeism is out of control as well, where there's a, a look at the body as something evil, so ultimately... The body belongs to the material world, therefore sex is bad, and so on and so forth. They need to defend, defend these, these heresies. And so we have these great councils, and all of these great councils bring to us a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is, fully human, fully divine, not autonomous, not separate from each other, right? But united. Okay, this is why we speak to this as the hypostatic union, the hypostasis, the union of, of body and soul, the union of uh, human and divine. And again, it's just not enough to reflect theologically on this as much as for Pope Leo. And I think this is really uh, the seminal point. It is, we know this, but the biblical vision of this is that we are called to share in this. And so uh, one of the reasons why he is so great, John, is because, um, again, you mentioned the barbarian ev- uh, invasions, is that post-invasions, Rome was a mess. Uh, Rome was poverty-stricken. And so he really brought the people of God together, and he said, in light of the beauty of Jesus Christ, let us share in his missionary work and embody those great verses that we are going to hear, by the way, this weekend, (laughs) right? Mm. (laughs) Go to the poorest to the poor, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. He was also shrewd. Oh, yes. Okay, now, this uh, fellow um, Eutychus comes up with this uh, monophysite paper, Mm -hmm. just to remind our, our, our listeners, a monophysite is an adherent to the doctrine that the person of Jesus Christ was one and single divine nature, not mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. Catholics claim that he had one person, two natures. Okay, so his case uh, was, it, it, he, the Council of Ephesus kind of quashed that. Mm-hmm. But then it comes back again, and the Bishop of uh, Alexandria, whose name was Dioscorus, wants to call another uh, council, and he wants to have Eutychus as the primary witness. And Flavian doesn't want to have, Flavian is the bishop of Constantinople, he does not want to have this. But Dioscorus goes to the emperor, who's a man named Theodosius. And Theodosius, who was kind of a monophysite and mm-hmm. didn't like the Pope, anyway, he calls a council. And for about a hundred or so bishops come to this council. And Flavian, the bishop of Constantinople, is roundly condemned. Eutychus gives his talk. And Flavian is thrown in jail and dies four days later from abuse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. It looks like uh, monophysite is going to be the uh, doctrine, mm-hmm. and Pope Leo writes to Theodosius, the, uh, uh, the, the, the emperor, and says, no, we we got we to change this, and Theodosius says, no, I'm sorry, it's settled. Leo goes to his sister, uh, Pulcheria, uh, Pulcheria, and says, we got to change this, and she says, yes, I agree with you. Well, as luck would have it, Emperor Theodosius is out horseback riding, falls off his horse, hits his head, and dies. <laughs> Pulcheria marries a man named Marcion, mm-hmm. who agrees, he's now the new emperor, and they call a council. Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, now it looks like the robber council, that was the one that put down Flavian, is now going to be out of, or, you know, it's going to be overruled. Yeah. And Leo writes his tome, Leo's tome, that's possibly his most famous single writing in which he claims that Christ was one person, two natures. Mm-hmm. It's quite beautiful, and it's a good piece of solid theology, I have re- I've heard. And um, so they have the council of Chalcedon, 
and uh, the doctrine of Christ being uh, one person with two natures was upheld, same mm-hmm. as the Council of Ephesus, and Monophytism is not part of the Catholic Church. Defeated, yeah. And however, it really, it just never really did die away. I mean, if we take a look at Coptic Christians, I think they are monophysites, mm-hmm. and maybe some Syrian Catholics are monophysites. It, it really it kind of hung on a little bit. Well, and to some extent, it's still around today, <laughs> you yeah, know, uh-huh. certainly. Uh, so here we are, date-wise, John, um, we're talking about the Council of Chalcedon and, and these four councils that, as we have talked about, are, are Christological. There is another important event historically in the life of one Leo that has seemed to withstand the test of time, and in many ways might arguably be the most known event in papal history, and that was this encounter between um, Pope Leo and Attila the Hun, okay, in Mantua. Now, what happened there? Well, the best we can glean from history, Attila was about to invade. They had, they had already, the Huns had already claimed northeastern Italy. They're about to sack Rome. And Leo meets Attila the Hun. And speculation abounds about exactly what was said. Uh, there's some wonderful art in Rome that might depict the intervention of the angels. <laughs> whatever was said, whatever happened ultimately, he dissuaded Attila the Hun to sack Rome and he turned away, for a short period of time at least. <laughs> he turned away, what I read, to the Danube. So mm-hmm. he goes from Mantua to the other side of the Danube. That's yeah. a long retreat. Yes, yes it is. Uh, and so this become quite well known. And again, when you talk about that presence, all right, it, the, the legend around him grows, you know, that he would actually withstand uh, a barbarian invasion. And it's interesting, we talk about the, the barbarians, John, maybe just as a historical footnote, who were the barbarians? I mean, we hear this word, but these are a group of people, we know them as uh, either rural people or nomads, a nomadic people um, who uh, don't have necessarily a sophisticated language or a set of laws like that of Rome. In fact, um, if you were to go um, into the etymology of barbarian, it at the very least suggests the Romans called them barbarians because all they could make out in their language was bar, 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 right? So barbarians, okay. And, uh, you know, again, they had no sense of law. I mean, th- their sense of law was savage. If you were going to, if you did something wrong and you were barbarian, your punishment was, well, you'd, you know, you'd take your hand and you'd put it into a a tub of scolding hot water, you'd grab out a rock and you'd wrap a, a bandage around your hand. And if your hand was healed in three days mm. and you were, uh, you were innocent, if it wasn't, you were guilty. That was their sense of law, just kind of to the whims of chance a little bit. Uh, and they, that was how they uh, essentially governed themselves. So there was no sense of real governance. Uh, they were savage warriors. And there's all sorts of different branches of barbarians that we don't have to get in, into now. But Collectively, what you had were two very different uh, group or sects of people when you start talking about the Romans and the barbarians. And I say 452, but the barbarian invasions have already had their impact on Rome. They were were talking about that. And it's interesting. Another historical piece that doesn't often get a lot of attention, John, is when three years later, I think it was that the Vandals were at the the gates of Rome, there was Pope Leo to meet the lead invader. Correct. And they sacked Rome. He was defeated. He didn't turn them away. But he did persuade them not to destroy St. Peter's Basilica, St. Paul, St. John. Certainly, 
uh, preserving uh, these churches, but there are a lot of people who had gone there by way of ref- refuge to avoid the barbarians. So very important in what he did there. Exactly. I, I, I heard that uh, he persuaded them not to kill people, mm-hmm. and these people went into a Paul outside the wall. They went into uh, various churches, and he didn't kill people. And also, they, he didn't do Bernie. You know, he stole everything that was inside, including this, what was inside the churches. Yeah. But he, he didn't burn, and he didn't kill. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was a victory. This is the same guy, I think, that did that went to Hippo right around Augustine's death. Yes, yes. And, I mean, we had just celebrated the, uh, what was it, the Feast of the Dedication of the Basilica of St. John Lateran, right? And uh, this is, again, our oldest Christian church, and we have one Pope uh, Leo to thank for that in many ways. You mentioned that the barbarians had no laws. Uh, looking forward to future shows, that may turn out to be an advantage for the church, because after they conquer everything, what do you do with it? Yep. I, we don't know. Yep. Well, they can't administer a thing, so they go to the church. These guys can read and write, and they know how to do accounting, and the church comes and helps them. And, yes. Wow. It's very, very ad- advantageous, and uh, that's a great temptation to talk about that right now, but we'll hold off we'll on hold that. Off. John, I wanted to touch upon a couple of other aspects of St. Leo's teaching, uh, and these are things that Benedict XVI highlighted. There was one in particular that really struck me. And it was this, how he associated the liturgy with the daily life of Christians. And he would combine the practice of fasting with charity, prayer, and almsgiving to when the year marked the change of seasons. He would get all of Rome to buy into this. And I just loved it. And what did he want them to see? Well, if we are going to have a change of season, then before there is life, there must first be death. And he wanted us to see the spiritual reality of that. If we are going to gain heaven, we must first die to the stuff of earth. And so he also placed a particular emphasis then in how the Christian liturgy is not the memory of past events, but the actualization of invisible realities which act in the lives of each one of us. And this brings us back to our discussion on memory when we were talking about that with St. Augustine how we share in the transformation of history when Christ becomes present on the altar and we receive him and we there are sent out to share Christ with the world. In this way, we share in the transformation of history. I read one letter about, you be very careful when you ordain a priest. These priests carry our message and we have to be very, uh, make sure they go through a good, we would call it seminary for lack of a better word because they didn't have them back then. But he was quite concerned about priests being of a top quality. Otherwise, the word is going to be not very well put out. Yeah, and as you talk about that, John, I can't help but be excited. Our seminary system has gone under a pretty uh, dramatic change over the last 10, 15, even 20 years. And our future priests are being trained in the beauty of truth. And it's an exciting thing to know that these messengers of peace, these carriers of truth really are being formed in and what Christ wants them to hand on. And that, of course, is uh, the truth, beauty, and goodness of our faith. And certainly we have a current Pope who is having us focus in on this towering virtue of love. There was a letter by Peter Chrysologus to this monk, um, Eutychus, in which he said, listen to the Pope at Rome. He is extremely important. He kind of leads us. Now, Leo did not know about this letter. It came out in subsequent study. 
Uh, I had a conversation with Tom Dillon. I was, this is, we're talking about the 90s, and I was having various issues. And he says, do what the Pope, Tom Dillon, past president of Thomas Aquinas College, yeah. do what the Pope, you know, listen to the Pope. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Catholic Church is what the Pope says. And I remember that. You now here we have Francis coming out with some things that are getting people uh, to open their eyes. Mm-hmm. Go with the Pope. Yeah, amen. Right back to Peter Chrysologus. Yeah, that's right. We've been talking each and every Wednesday night about what he's actually saying. And what he's actually saying is, well, A, what the Church has, has always been saying in his own words. He hasn't changed anything for our listeners out there who don't listen to Wednesday night. But he is also challenging us in the spirit of St. Leo in many ways, John. He's challenging us uh, to go into the inner city of where we live and to... Be present to them. If we're going to evangelize and we're going to catechize, it needs to start under that banner of love. And so, yeah, we need to go with the Pope. We need to go with who God has elected so as to better appreciate and understand the ways in which God wants to speak to us in this day and age. Uh, Very important. I think that's a wrap here, John. I'm looking up at the time. Uh, Thank you again for the gift of your time, John. Great program. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.